Hello and welcome to yet another wonderful edition of this wonderful podcast that we like to call Bavarian Podcast Works. My name is Jake Fenner and I'm glad that you joined us today. If you're just listening to us for the first time, thank you very much for trying us out. If you're coming back to listen for more, I'm really glad we haven't driven you away yet. I'm joined today by my uh, co-host and my brother-in-arms for this one, uh, Chuck Smith. Chuck, how was your weekend Hey Jake, how's it going? Everything was uh, it was up and down for me. It was my well, I, my youngest daughter. It was her nine year, her ninth birthday, and uh, you know it would have been great, except she was uh, violently ill for most of it. So uh, things were not so great at our place. But uh, I think the highlight of her birthday weekend was that she got a Leon Goretzka jersey, which she was totally pumped about. Uh, she may be the youngest female Goretzka fan in the United States. I'm not sure about that. I can't fact check it, but can't imagine there's too many other nine-year-olds rolling around with a Leon jersey. So, uh, yeah, it's been a it was a kind of a crazy weekend. My oldest daughter, she had a couple of soccer games, so we were on the run trying to manage a sick child all the way. But it was a lot of fun, and uh, you know your typical dad life weekend, I guess. That sounds phenomenal. If you out there have a picture of your nine-year-old or younger in a Leon Goretzka jersey, please tweet it at us because we would love to see it. Uh, as for me, uh, outside of the phenomenal games this weekend, uh, I am in the middle of finals week here at uh, at college, so... By the time this podcast goes out, by the time you at home are listening to this, I will be done with my junior year here at Syracuse University, and I will be moving on to better and brighter things, just like hopefully this weekend, Byron will be moving on to a... How many in a row? It would be seven, right? It would be seven championships in a row? It would be the seventh, yep. Alrighty, so I guess with that, we can go right into the football. Sound good? Sounds great. Alright, perfect. We start the podcast off with our segment after 90 minutes where we go over the most recent game that Bayern Munich has played. This weekend, Bayern played Hanover. It was a 3-1 to one win, and while it helped to get the points. It wasn't entirely convincing of a win. Bayern never seemed like they were out of control, but I feel like the general sense from this was that they could have won in a more convincing fashion, more convincing than a 3-1 win could be. Chuck, what did you take away from this? Yeah, I mean, I think that Hanover came into the game kind of dead man walking. They had no life. They're really realistically is not a ton for them to play for uh talent wise they're missing you know they were missing their best player in nicholas Fulkrug. so it, it, to look at that hanover team and compare them to what they were last year when they didn't still didn't have a great level of talent but had such tremendous fight it was really disappointing and you know when when you factor in that you know they were missing Fulkrug, that they are completely out of the race they are relegated to being relegated at this point um you know it was just a recipe for disaster and and while Bayern didn't really pound Hanover like I think a lot of people would have liked to see it was it was tough it was tough for Bayern really to to go in and and 
really put a beating on them because Hanover had no desire to engage. They just wanted to sit back and limit the damage. So Byron took the lead at the half. It was 2-0 at the half. And then in one of the weirdest things that I've ever seen in any European league this season, Hanover's uh, Brazilian midfielder, Jonatas, comes on at the half, gets a penalty in the 51st minute, and converts it. And then within a matter of four minutes after scoring that penalty, he's gotten two yellows and he's sent off. One of which was for pushing uh, Sven Ulreich in goal and antagonizing him. And he's just sent off after that. And Hanover played almost all of the second half down to ten men. I just thought that that was very... Very weird, but the thing that warmed my heart was the 83rd minute goal from Frank Ribery in one of his last games in a Bayern jersey. It was confirmed by the club that this summer they were going to let Frank Ribery go on a free transfer. Chuck, how did how did one how did seeing that goal make you feel, and two, uh. What do you think, uh, I guess it's hard to really wrap it up, but what do you think Frank Ribery's legacy is going to be at Bayern Munich? Well, I, I think it was it was excellent to see him come in. And even though he didn't look really thrilled when he scored the goal, it was great to see him come in and do that. And, you know, it's, you don't get many opportunities to close something out right. And to come in... In a, in a substitute role and get a goal there. I thought it was awesome. It was great to see for a player of his stature and, you know, with the legendary career that he's had at Bayern, I think that it was a perfect way for him to come and get that. And, you know, who knows how much he'll play over the next two games plus the Pokal final. It, it was just awesome. And when you look at him and his career, you really have to be pleased with everything. I, he's had his ups and downs, some off the field things that probably, you know, may have tarnished his reputation a bit. And I'm not talking about the uh, Salt Bay incident. But, <laughs> um, you know, he, he when you just look at his performance on the field and the desire, the drive and the hunger that he had, it, it's something that every young player should admire. I mean, he wasn't the biggest player. He wasn't the fastest. He wasn't the strongest. But the fight inside of him really drove him to have such a legendary career. And I think that everybody can take a look at him. And no matter how you feel about his behavior off the field or what you think of him personally, you have to have some admiration for his game on the pitch. Not only did Frank Ribery come on uh, for Serge Gnabry, but also Aryan Robin came on after being injured for a very long time. He came on for Kingsley Coman, and we were able to finally see, possibly for the very last time, we were able to see Robbery together on the pitch. It's very sad that they're going to go, but at the same time, you have to expect it. Both of them are on the very wrong side of 30, and I think they're going to go out as some of the best that have ever donned uh, the red of Bayern Munich, but... You have to you have to let them go. They're they're not playing to a standard that the club expects, but that's also because they've expected that standard out of them, I think, at least for so long, that to see them not performing to that may be a shock to some people. 
but it's obvious it's the it's the circle of life to put it in a in a disney sense but um a 3-1 win over hanover uh are there any lessons that you think byron can take away from this no i I, honestly they just came in they took care of business like like they should have was it as dominant as we would have liked to have seen no it, it wasn't but they did what they had to do they got the three points and now they're in a position where a win next week against rb leipzig could clinch the uh, Bundesliga for them. And then speaking of that, we will be talking more about that game against RB Leipzig when we come back after this break. Welcome back. Uh, Now we are going to move into our segment, Der Ausblick, which is the outlook ahead at the next game that Bayern Munich has to play. This is possibly it. This may be the only game that Bayern Munich needs to win to finally get this dark horse of a season, this absolute nightmare of a season off of its back. They just need to win this weekend, and then it's official. They've won the Bundesliga. And it's easier said than done because they have to play third place RB Leipzig this weekend. Leipzig haven't really missed many opportunities this season they've been playing at a very high level and that's seen in their form over the last couple of games in their last five games they have four wins and only one draw which was three three two minds really quick statistical blitz their top score is exactly who you think it is it is timo Werner. he is tied for fourth with marco royce and andre kramerich uh verner and emil forsberg are tied for 13th in assists and verner has the second most shots in the league with 104 behind a man by the name of robert Lewandowski. Uh, the team overall has scored 62 goals which is fifth most in the league They've hit 478 shots, which is fourth in the league. They have 59 yellow cards, which is tied for six with Hertha. They've committed 417 fouls, which is second most in the league. Uh, They've hit 330 crosses, which is 10th most. Uh, Their only real sore spot is they're tied with a whole bunch of teams for 13th in the league on pass completion, which is 79%, which is kind of... A little bit of a surprise when you think about it because their midfield core when you think of it is so good but then you also realize that you know this is their first season without Nabi Keita Uh, and finally they're fourth in the league in sprints and they lead the league in duels one their key players are obviously Timo Werner, Emil Forsberg, uh, Yusuf Poulsen and in the reverse fixture uh, Bayern beat Leipzig 1-0 thanks to a 83rd minute Frank Ribéry goal, uh, though interesting fact, both Renato Sanchez and Stefan Ilskaner were sent off in stoppage time on really weird red cards, uh, so outside of just those two weird anomalies at the very end, it was an absolute grind it out battle and i don't expect anything else chuck especially when a title is on the line like in this game this weekend yeah i mean you really have to admire what leipzig has done this season i mean they the last time they lost was back on january 19th 
you know, that goes, that's a string of 17 games where they've either, you know, gotten one or three points. And it's, it's impressive. When you look at their roster, they're exciting. They take chances and they have talent. And I think that when you factor in that they've been on the hunt for Bayern and it seems like they're able to ramp themselves up for Bayern, this has the makings of a great game. I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see Timo Werner try and impress the Bayern bosses with all of the rumors that have been going around. I think he's really going to want to put on a great performance, but he's just one part of that team. They have some great pieces and, you know, with such excitement within their lineup and how fast that they play, they could really give Bayern some problems. And I think that there's no better players or more important players to their system outside of Timo Werner than the midfield tandem of Emil Forsberg and Yusuf Polson. While their back line is relatively young, they have people like Willy Orban and Lucas Klosterman, Yusuf Polson and Emil Forsberg have really tied this team down. And if you really look at Leipzig's roster, they have a lot of really, really young players. There's a lot of players that have been born in the late 90s, and I think a couple in 2000, including um, American midfielder Tyler Adams, who's there now after spending his fall with uh, the New York Red Bulls in MLS. How important is it that Yusuf Polson and Emil Forsberg are able to push the ball up through the center of the field? And how important is it to them to dominate the midfield, a area that Bayern has almost always had an advantage in every other game they've played this year? I think with Bayern's midfield compared to Leipzig's, there's a lot more control and a lot more composure. Forsberg is a great playmaker. He has become very adept at setting up the offense and really running the offense like a point guard with Werner and Polson really working in tandem on those scoring opportunities. Both have a knack and a great touch around the net. But I think since Forsberg has come back into the lineup, it's really added an element to their team that they were missing in the first half of the season. Uh, he battled some injuries, and he seems to be one of those players that's always a little bit injury prone. But his impact on their lineup, it really can't be measured, no matter what kind of stat you want to put to it. Forsberg has a great, great feel for how to get Werner and Paulson involved in the game. And I think that that's where Bayern is really going to have to focus. And this will probably be a game where instead of Leon Goretzka in the midfield, we will probably see Javi Martinez back in the lineup. You're going to definitely need somebody in there with that defensive mindset. And that's an incredibly important thing that you pointed out that Emil Forsberg was injured. He did not play in that previous game against Bayern Munich where they won. The midfield consisted of Bruma, Kevin Kampel, Demi, and Leimer. There's a clear and obvious missing player there, and it is Forsberg. And that team itself has a lot of really really experienced players outside of that youth in the midfield. They've got Werner and Poulsen and uh, Kevin Campbell. Well, Campbell at least has uh, Confederations Cup 
experience, but including Klosterman, those three players have good World Cup experience. Um, but moving beyond those experienced players that I was mentioning before, of the youngsters, who do you think has the best opportunity to really shine for Leipzig this weekend? You know, I, I would love to be able to say Tyler Adams, but he's he's banged up right now with a groin injury, so it's very questionable that we'll even see him. And it's the same with their young center back, Diet Upamakano. He's also banged up with a knee injury. So a lot of the young and exciting and talented players that they have are injured right now. And I know that there are some Arsenal fans out there who love to give the RB Leipzig social media account uh, a hard time about Emil Smith Rowe, but he also is banged up. So a lot of that young talent that Leipzig has on its roster, it's injured right now. But they'd still, Jake, like you said, they have so much talent and they play such an exciting style that I think that any of the people that they start to fill in, whether it's Marcel Sabitzer or whether you know we t- you talked about Willy Orban defensively, I think that you're going to see an exciting game and with you know, Klosterman had a, I guess he had a brace in the last game. So when you look at some of the talent that they have, even some of those players that are starting to creep into their mid twenties, which is crazy to think that that might be old on this roster. Um, you know, I think that they have just enough talent to backfill those spots and make this a very exciting contest. Now, I think another thing that is obviously on the minds of Bayern Munich fans is the fact that this will not be the last time that Bayern Munich plays RB Leipzig this month, this season, actually. They play each other in Berlin in the Pokal final at the end of the month. Um, So let's... Let's speak in hypotheticals here. It was a really a grinded out 1-0 win, right? Like I mentioned, Ribery didn't score until the 83rd minute. Say Bayern Munich draws this game, hypothetically, because I, I said a couple weeks ago on this podcast that I don't believe that there's a scenario where Bayern Munich clinches this title before the final day, and I'm still holding myself to that standard. I think this weekend I could easily see like a 1-1 or a 2-2 draw, uh, because you're going to be playing at Leipzig, and the energy in that stadium is always really, really at a high level. Uh, If Bayern draws this game, or say a terrible thing happens and Bayern loses this game. What? How do you think that would reflect in the team's preparation for the Pokal final later on? Well, I think it would it would cause Bayern to have a lot more focus, and you know, to to with so much on the line for this game. I think that Bayern absolutely can't afford to have a letdown. They have to approach this like this is a one-and-done championship game. Uh, You don't want to drop points here in any way, even though that wouldn't be the end of the season. It would be a really bad experience to do this right before the Pokal final as well. The last thing you want to do with a team like Leipzig is give them confidence and give them an idea that they can beat you. And... You know, from a Leipzig perspective, I think that you really want to look at their mentality entering this game. They have nothing to play for in this particular contest. They've already clinched the Champions League spot. They're not going anywhere. They can't go up. They can't go down, really. So from their perspective, 
there's not much to play for. But if they come out and they push Byron and they press them and they really come out and give Byron a hard time, I think that's really going to bode well for the Pokal final. The difference in the Pokal final will be Byron at that stage will have already seen Leipzig. They're already going to know what they're going to get. And I think at that point in the Pokal, that experience and depth of Byron will take over. But this is really an interesting game. It's all about the mentality of Leipzig for me. If they come out and they roll over and they're unmotivated, it doesn't mean that the Pokal final will be easy. It just means that this is a young team that's not quite as ready for prime time as we might think. Uh, I think there's one final elephant that we have to address in the room. Uh, I hate to toot my own horn, um, but I did write this last week a article about what I believe and what I have statistically supported to be an absolute and undeniable fact that these red kits, or excuse me, not the red kits, what am I, the mint kits are absolutely awful. That Bayern Munich does not play well at all when they wear the mint kits. RB Leipzig typically wears white at home. They do have a red alternate. I am envisioning a nightmare scenario where they decide to go out and wear their red uniforms and Byron is having to force themselves to wear mint. If you see them walking out this Saturday wearing mint, can we just say that Dortmund gets the championship? Because I don't imagine that if we wear anything that isn't red or gray, that we walk out of East Germany with a win. Yeah, I mean, mint really should be reserved for, you know, types of bubblegum and mouthwash, not for, you know, soccer uniforms, particularly Bayern uniforms. You know, it's been a, it was a great job that you did in detailing that out, because I think we all kind of thought the mint was pretty terrible. But you gave us statistical evidence, Jake, that proved that it it's needs there. to go. I mean, they should just burn the entire kit right now. Save us all the problem. In the case that you haven't read it, Bayern Munich is three. I believe Bayern Munich is three, three, and two whenever they've worn the mint kit. Almost every single chance that Bayern Munich dropped points, whether they drew or they lost in the back half of the season, was because they wore the mint kits. The only exception being the second leg against Liverpool. But even in the first leg against Liverpool at Anfield, they wore the mint kits and they finished with a nil-nil draw. I am completely convinced that this is a thing. I am on the absolute, the mint curse is real train. I do not ever want to see a mint kit in Bavaria ever again. It needs to die, it needs to go away. Yeah, and I respect the people that like it. Everybody has different tastes, and that's okay. You may like the mint kit. Jake and I, we're just on the other side of the fence on this. So if you if you have the mint kit and you really like it, great. Wear it. You should wear it every opportunity you get. Just don't wear but, it on Byron game days. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, ranting and raving against that kit aside chuck what do you think the final score is going to be give me your prediction i am going to go with a 3-1 prediction which will surprise no one who reads my predictions every game day in the uh, daily schmackle so I, I think that this is one of those instances where 
the mentality of Leipzig may actually work against them. I think that they are going to come out excited. I think they're going to push the pace at Bayern right away. But I also think that Bayern's going to wear them down and take advantage of some mental and physical mistakes. I think Timo Werner is going to press a little bit. He's going to want to show his skill and his talent on the big stage. And this just looks to me like a game that Leipzig is just not quite ready for as of yet. I know earlier that I mentioned that uh, 2-2 was my uh, prediction. I'm going to amend that. I think that while Leipzig's mentality may work against them, that at the end of the day, yes, they are missing uh, one of their two starting center backs in their back line, but Willie Orban is more than capable of replacing him, and they get Emil Forsberg back. I say a 1-1 draw, and then Bayern Munich gets out of East Germany. They go back home, and Niko Kovac wins the league in Bavaria against his former team, Eintracht Frankfurt, the following Saturday. I think that would be an amazing storyline. I want that storyline to happen. But, again, like, if Dortmund decides to go ahead and help us this weekend, by all means, feel free to go ahead and do that. Go ahead and drop some more points to inferior competition whenever you feel like it. Jake, if if that scenario does play out, it's going to be a long week on the site. The hashtag Kobach out crowd will be lighting their torches and grabbing their pitchforks in a big effort to chase him out of town ASAP if Byron drops points here. And we are going to actually talk about that train and one of the possible replacements for Niko Kovac when we return. We'll be right back after this message. Welcome back. Now we transition into our segment, Ask BPW, which is where we take the questions from you, the fans, that you've posed to us on Twitter and answer them on the air. So again, like I will say at the end of this segment, if you want your questions to be read out on this podcast. If you want Chuck and I to give them a look over, talk about them on air, be sure to use the hashtag, hashtag AskBPW, and we will look them over and maybe you can hear your question answered on air. This first topic that we're going to discuss is not a uh, question from the viewers. Uh, On Monday... Footy Headlines released the leak for the Bayern Munich home kits for 2019-20. They are red as normal. Uh, There is the possibility of either blue or red shorts, and they have a red collar and red sleeves, um, or red sleeve trim, and an interesting pattern on the front. Uh, It took me a little while to look at that and realize what it was, but if you have a keen eye, I'm pretty sure that that is the Allianz Arena on the front. If you go ahead and you 
find the story that we wrote on it at our blog website, BavarianFootballWorks.com. Uh, it's got this interesting diamond pattern, and I took a look at that and the way that it's curved and the way the lines go up, and it looks like the light panels from the outside of the Allianz Arena. Uh, that might just be me. The club hasn't made an official announcement releasing the kit yet, and when that happens, they would probably go ahead and explain uh, details and why they made the choices they did. Uh, it was a mostly lukewarm reception to this kit. I, I like it. I don't know if I would buy it. I enjoy it, though. Uh, Chuck, what do you think about the way this kit looks? I, I am far from the uh, BFW fashionista that Tom Adams is. Um, I, I literally, I wear shorts 365 days a year and, and t-shirts. That's pretty much what I do. Uh, when I looked at the kit, I, I thought the first thing that really struck me was it's not red enough, which I believe our colleague, I need no name, also commented on. And, you know, the pattern didn't bother me as much, but I, I prefer a little bit darker red uh, for the kit top. And I feel like they Adidas probably learned their lesson with the blue shorts this year. So I would imagine that the, the shot that we saw of those blue shorts, I think that will go away. Uh, they may even be training or practice shorts. <laughs> but, um, you know, I do think that the, uh, the pattern was pretty cool. Um, the jersey itself wasn't my favorite, but if it was a little bit darker, I think I could be convinced. I mean, it, it was it was pretty unique. I'll, I'll give it that. And it had no collar. With I mean, I'm anti-collar 100%. So if it doesn't have a collar, it, it had at least some quality to it. I'm equally anti-collar, and I think that the ones with the collar, I think from what? It was uh, the 16-17 yeah. season. I think that was my least favorite home kit that they've released for a while. That one and the red and blue striped one, I just, I wasn't a fan of it. I actually, in my time as a Bayern Munich fan, I think the only kit that I've ever really enjoyed was the 1718 home kit, the one with the mostly red but white stripes as well that was a throwback to the 70s. That one was my favorite kit. I think that's the best red kit that they've done in a while um but my favorite kit of all time i looked everywhere on ebay for this kit i only just recently got it it was the 2013-14 champions league kit where it was the different shades of blue in stripes with the three red adidas uh shoulder stripes that was my favorite of all time. I absolutely love that kit, and I'm really glad I had that. Uh, I guess, uh, Chuck. So then, what's your what's your favorite kit? I, I really I'm partial to two kits. I believe it was the fifteen sixteen red kit. Um, I, I like that one a lot, but I really really like the white kits from last season that they used in the Champions League. Uh, with uh, the white jersey with the red vertical stripes that kind of faded out. They had a unique little pattern to them. And like I said, I'm not Tom Adams here. I can't give you all the finer details, but that really caught my eye. And if if I was going to buy a kit, that would have been it. Luckily for me, uh, my 
12 year old now she that's exactly what she wanted for her birthday so we got her a robert Lewandowski version of that which turned out to be great that that actually no i was about to say that may have been my favorite kit i don't think i had any last year was the first time i had no problems with any of the kits and this year obviously that's not the case but (laughs) moving on from the mint monstrosity we are going to talk about something that uh got posed to us a little while ago and i initially dismissed it just because i thought it was a little ridiculous and then the talk started building up about it so it's this tweet from at coffee with kieran is there any chance of eric ten hog making the jump to FC Bayern, because Ajax's youth team tore apart Real Madrid, and if I'm not wrong, after Jupp Heynckes, nobody has broken the Spanish curse. Um, There was a fan post that we put up on the website that basically went through the pros and cons of all of the managers that have been linked to Bayern Munich, and I believe the four were, well, Niko Kovac, but also Mauricio Pochettino, uh, Thomas Tuchel, and Eric Ten Hag. Uh, if Niko Kovac goes, I'll be sad. Uh, out of all of those managers, I would take Eric Ten Hag solely because I don't think we're going to get Pochettino, and I don't want Tuchel. Uh, Tuchel has, as the uh, writer of the fan post mentioned, he has a massive ego, and Ten Hag has the experience with Bayern Munich, he has experience with some of the youth academy players, so I think for all of the fans of Christian Fruchtel out there, that Ten Hag would be a massive get because he truly strongly believes in the value of bringing up the youth academy and also if we wanted to get matthias delight if we were able to pick up eric ten hog this summer i think that that would be a massive move but ten hog is probably secure in his job at ajax just as much i think as nico kovac is secure in his job at bayern munich i as much as I think Kovac has had problems this year, I think he deserves the time to go ahead and really try to build it. I don't think Ten Hag is going to go anywhere, and I think that if, say, three years down the road, the board is just done with Kovac, Ten Hag would still probably be there and would come back to Bayern in a heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I guess when it comes down to classifying whether you are hashtag Kovac in or Kovac in or hashtag Kovac out. I would be on the Kovac in crowd side of things. I mean, to the point where I think that uh, we actually had a Twitter user refer to us as a bunch of Kovac C-bombs. So I didn't it was, see uh, that tweet. <laughs> I think we took some heat over that, but um, yeah, yeah, we too, we definitely, we, somebody, somebody lit us up a little bit about that. But I think when, when you look at Ten Hag, I, I do admire the way he coaches and the job that he's done with that Ajax side. I mean, they're fierce and they're fearless. And I love the way that they play. I mean, physically, uh, you know, physically, they're not afraid of anyone. They will match up and they will go body to body with you. 
They play with pace. And I think the thing that I admire most about the way that he coaches is his teams take chances. They're not afraid to make a mistake. And they'll come down. They may make three mistakes in a row, but that fourth time they're going to make something special happen. They just play with such a ferocity and such an intensity. And I think that that's why they've done so well in the Champions League. They've caught so many other big clubs off guard with the way they play. I think it's a real credit to what he's done there. And, you know, like you said, we had that great fan post that was written by Fergus25, one of our community members. And I think if, you know, you're interested and you want to take a look at some of those candidates, give that a good read. I think, you know, Fergus25 did a really good job in laying it out. I think that one of the things that he said about Ten Hag was that uh, his style doesn't exactly fit Bayern Munich, and that is true, though I will say Bayern Munich is about to go ahead and drop 200 million euros this summer on brand new signings, and I guarantee almost none of them will be extremely old, and if you really go ahead and think about it, that Ajax team is made up of a whole bunch of really young, really pacey players. And that may be the kind of player that Bayern Munich brings in this summer. So I think with the players right now, Bayern Munich could not survive under a Ten Hag. But I think give it maybe not necessarily this summer because maybe not all of the players that Bayern want will come in this summer. But say give it two. I think that all of those concerns about whether or not the players can play to the current system... Ten Hag has at Ajax, I think those concerns would go away pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely one thing to look at. And I guess when we get to that stage, you know, we'll know two years from now exactly how Niko Kovac has done. And, you know, maybe at that point, you know, maybe even, you know, you and I, Jake, will be at the point where we are ready for Kovac out. But, you know, until then, I'm willing to ride with Niko a little bit, give him a chance to work with this group and then to integrate some of the the talent that they are bringing in uh, over the summer. Moving on to the next uh, question, and it is a Kovac question, so, uh, oh well. Uh, It kind of, there are two tweets from at Azhan Akhtar that kind of, could be blended, I guess, into one discussion topic that we could have. So he asked, do you think Niko Kovac will or should change uh, the Bayern playing style and formation from a 4-2-3-1 to a 3-4-3 or 3-5-2, as he did in Frankfurt? Do you guys think that Bayern should have a look at other styles of play than the possession style Kovac currently has? And the second question was, how do you expect the defense of Bayern to line up next season? So... Um, I guess let's start with formation and then go into how we think that the defense is going to line up. So I personally think that Bayern does really well with wingers. So I think out of the three that, uh, at Azhan Akhtar mentioned, uh, I think a 3-4-3 would probably be the one that fits Bayern Munich the best. Uh, just because those wingers are so incredibly crucial. Now, another thing that we can keep in mind is that 
if we wanted to, we could switch that 343 to a 523. And while it would require a lot of work out of David Alaba and Joshua Kimmich, it's already work that they do. Joshua Kimmich and David Alaba are incredibly involved in every build-up and every scoring opportunity that Bayern has nowadays. So I feel that if you put them into a 3-4-3 and gave them that flexibility, that that would work. So the way that I would probably envision it would be that instead of left mid, right mid, you have Alaba and Kimmich, which, by the way, both of them do have the ability of playing in the midfield, and optioning them as wingbacks, if we really needed to, and then after this summer, you're going to have a lot of people available to go ahead and play in the back line. Even if we get, even if we don't get Matthias Delight, which I think we still are in the running for, you have Hernandez, you have Nick Sula, you have Benjamin Pavard, and you have Mats Hummels coming in. So I think Bayern has a lot of options. Yeah, I, I'm more on the 4-2-3-1 uh, standard formation. I think that the reason Bayern has pursued some of the players that they're bringing in is their versatility. And I think that when Kovac looks at a player like Pavard or Hernandez, he sees that he can not only use them as center backs, but also as outside backs to maybe provide rest days for players like Kimmich and Alaba, who right now, other than Rafinha, there's no one else on the roster that can really provide those two players with any type of, of rest or, or even a breather at times. So I think that, you know, when you look at it, I think Byron operates best out of that 4-2-3-1. I think when you look at the talent on the roster, it's the best way to maximize it, maximize that talent. And I do think that Kovac and, you know, and, and the Byron front office has really put together a plan to bring in players who can play more than one position, who are versatile, and who are able to not only press up and play offense, but can get back quickly and play defense, which is where I think that you're going to see a lot of the uh, advantages in bringing in Pavard and Hernandez. What worries me about players like that is how happy are they going to be on the bench? Because a player like Pavard was a, a you know no question starter at Stuttgart, but here at Bayern, he he it could be games before he gets back on the pitch. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Kovac is able to manage that talent. If you could really criticize him in any way at the beginning of this season is he really had no idea how to manage that type of depth. And I think it took him just about the entirety of the first half of the season to really figure that out. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he handles all of that. And I think that may also be uh, a matter of what you like and how you think uh, the way Bayern has played, has done for them so far. Like, personally, uh, as much as I do think that their uh, style of play does work, uh, I think it's old. I think that it reminds me way too much of 2013, and I think that maybe a little innovation may not hurt Bayern Munich in the long run. So I think that if they could... They could easily switch to that 3-4-3 or that 3-5-2, but at the same time, I do completely get why the 4-2-3-1 is used, because 
I can't remember the last time that Bayern Munich hasn't won some kind of title. I think it's great that you called it old. That's essentially just calling me old, Jake. So <laughs> <laughs> I am 42. So yeah, I probably could be your father. But yeah, all right, Jake, I'll take that hit then. All righty. <laughs> so before we move on, once again, I would just like to say if you want your questions to be read out on air, be sure to tweet them to us with the hashtag AskBPW, and we will look them over and try to read them out on air. Yeah, and just please try not to refer to us as uh, using the C-bomb, all right? Yeah, that, that <laughs> We could take a lot of be... insults, but that one might have crossed the line a little bit. Yeah, let's... Uh, I know that we... Well, we all have our thoughts, but please keep it civil. Uh, we don't want to uh, have that show up on our hashtag. So please keep it civil and please keep sending us those questions. Uh, now we are going to go ahead and move on. Welcome back. And now we move on to our final segment before we go. Uh, this week, Chuck is going to handle that. So Chuck, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Thanks, Jake. I, I think when all of us take a look at Byron's roster, you can identify the talent and depth at various positions. But when you start to scroll down to the goalkeeper position, there are some questions about the future in between the sticks. It's not a knock on Manuel Neuer or his ability or what he's proven to the Byron fans over the years. It's more of a close look at his injury history and how long he is sustainable in between the sticks there. Uh, Byron, as a club, has committed to Neuer, and it's great, and they should. He's been a tremendous player, a legend, in fact. But he's at the stage of his career where his injuries have piled up. And despite his ability and some of the flashes that he's shown this year, it's really hampered his performance not just on the pitch, but probably in his own head. And I think when Byron goes to assess its roster and they need to start for their future planning, they're going to have to take a close look and determine is Sven Ulreich a good bridge player should Manuel Neuer sustain another long-term injury? Is Christian Fruchtel going to be the player that can step in for Neuer in the next two to three years? And I think at this stage... In the Bayern front office, they don't know. And that's a problem. From a depth perspective within the system, it's really fructal who you can look at and say, this is the player that Bayern is identifying as their goalkeeper of the future. But when that future is, it could be next year, it could be five years from now, the club has to make a decision on Neuer. They have to have a time frame in their minds for how long they can stick with Manuel Neuer. And the problem with that is the sense of loyalty as a fan base and as a club that most people have for Neuer will affect their decision-making in this. But I think that when Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and Uli Honus sit down and they really evaluate where Neuer is and how much longer he has in his career, they're going to come to the realization that they're in a two- to three-year window here. Uh, they have Sven Ulreich, and he's done great. He's been excellent. You know, he, for, for a backup, he has come in and really done a great job. But long term, we've seen that when the more that Sven Ulreich plays, the more the flaws in his game come out. Christian Fruchtel, we don't know a lot about. 
And I think when you start to look at what other options they may have, you'll look at Schalke's Alexander Nubel. And other than that, it's been pretty silent on the transfer market. So from my perspective, Jake, I think it's time to start exploring those options. I'm not saying Neuer should be replaced next year or even the year after, but they need to have some kind of plan in this three-year window to figure out what they can do when Manuel Neuer is finally done. I'm in complete agreement. I think that Manuel Neuer has done a phenomenal job between the sticks at Bayern Munich. But the fact of the matter is this, Bayern Munich is an aging squad, and with age, sometimes there comes problems. Now, that's not to say that Manuel Neuer is not a good goalkeeper. I am not saying that whatsoever. I am not even going to try to make that a thing. He is by far and away one of the greatest goalkeepers in the history of football, probably, and definitely one of, if not the best goalkeeper in German football history. So I think you look at him and you need to treat this situation very carefully. Now, as much as you can go on and on about how good Manuel Neuer is, the fact of the matter is this, he has not been as good as he was before he got injured last season. It's clear. You saw it in the 2014, or excuse me, the 2018 World Cup. He wasn't that good, and some will tell you that Neuer's performance may have been the reason why Germany got knocked out. And you've also got this massive argument and this big discussion over whether or not Joachim Löw should start looking towards Marc-Andre Ter Stegen as the new number one goalkeeper for Germany. So I think that Neuer, the wall, knows his writing is on the wall. And it's almost time for him to go ahead and hang up the gloves. Now, I think that it's not too premature for Bayern to go ahead and sign a goalkeeper right now. Because as much as I do appreciate Sven Ulreich, I don't see Sven Ulreich being a long-term or even a full-season option for Bayern Munich. I think that while he is a good backup goalkeeper, I would not give him the starting job. I think with the amount of resources that Bayern is going to have this summer, I think a transfer like an Alexander Nubel is perfectly within reason. Uh, Or if you really wanted to go for it, maybe try to pry Marc-Andre Ter Stegen away from the hands of Barcelona. I don't think you would, and I don't think that Bayern would even consider that because one, they aren't linked with him, and two... Byron's not one to go ahead and spend $65 million plus on a goalkeeper, despite the fact that he probably is the best goalkeeper in Germany right now. Um, in terms of Christian Fruchtel, I don't... I'm not going to say that he is not the goalkeeper of the future, for Bayern Munich, I just think that with the situation that Bayern has right now, they can't take any chances. I think that Neuer, in a best-case scenario, has about two, maybe three good years left in him, and at that point, you're going to have probably missed an opportunity if you didn't grab a new bull. 
So the question then becomes, what do you do about Sven Ulrich and what do you do about Christian Fruchtel if you're going to commit to Neuer for the next two years? And here, if I was the board, this is what I would do. I would sell Sven Ulrich and I would promote Christian Fruchtel because I think that it's clear Fruchtel is getting cold feet. He doesn't like sitting around in the youth ranks. And if you really want to commit to Fruchtel, like you say that you have been, then go ahead and promote him to the senior team. If you want him to become your next goalkeeper, then you need to have him getting that experience. And if you don't want him on the senior team, then you have to send him out on loan. You need to let him go out there and develop into the goalkeeper that you want him to be. If not, then you have talent rotting away in your youth academy. I think that if they don't promote him or loan him out next year, even if it's to a Bundesliga competition, it's a terrible move on the Bayern board's part. Fruchtel needs to be developed, and he needs to become the goalkeeper that everyone thinks that he's capable of becoming. Now, that's not to put the pressure on him and to say that he needs to do it immediately. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, as a 19-year-old player that's already being looked at as the next generation of German goalkeeping, along with Alexander Nubel, it's ridiculous that they have him sitting there in the youth academies. You need to get him out, you should get him out this summer, and you should get him the playing time that he needs. Because otherwise, sell him. Because I think that that's probably what he would prefer. If you're not going to commit to Christian Fruchtel full-time, then cash in on his potential, sell him to, I don't know, maybe a Leipzig, or if you really wanted to, sell him to the Premier League or something like that, and then go and buy Alexander Nubel. But you should be making your decision on this matter clear, because time is running up. We don't know how many more injuries that Manuel Neuer can go ahead and take. Right now, I don't know if Manuel Neuer is going to be able to play for the Pokal final, If he gets injured again next year and is out for multiple months at a time, I don't know how many more years he's going to be playing in Bavaria. I think you're right, Jake. And I think that, you know, it's a great point about Fruchtel and the timing of everything. That three-year window is the biggest key. And at some point this summer, they're going to have to determine whether Fruchtel is their man when that three years is up. It's unfair to Fructal even, right? Like, let's go ahead and get, oh, the success that we want out of this team. It's unfair to Fructal to go ahead and hear all of these things about how, yes, we are committed to you and we want you to be our goalkeeper of the future. And at the same time, we're just going to keep you here. We're going to keep you with the U23s and we know that you want to go ahead and probably get some playing time, but we're not even going to loan you out to a Bundesliga 2 competition. Because let's... a Bundesliga 2 team. Because let's be perfectly honest, it's not like Christian Fruchtel is not going to be taken out on loan. Somebody would easily snap him up if Bayern said, hi, we've got this goalkeeper right here. If you want to try him out for a year, go ahead and have him, right? You need to be making this generally clear about what your goal is because there's not much time to make this decision 
and like I said, if Manuel Neuer gets injured, you may have even less time than possible because, uh, say he gets another knee problem, he could retire. If he gets a knee problem next season, I see him retiring at the very end of the season. He would be 33, and he... At this rate, he's not going to be Gianluigi Buffon, where he's going to be playing until he's 95 years old. He's going to have injury troubles, probably. He's probably going to have injury troubles for the next couple of seasons. And let's just pray that none of them are serious enough where we have to go ahead and make that decision before the board is ready to make it. Totally, Jake. I think that you've hit it right on the mark on this one. Alrighty. Well, I think after that, it's a good place to wrap up this latest episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. Once again, we would like to thank you very much for tuning in and listening. Please be sure to read us at our blog, BavarianPodcastWorks.com. Be sure to rate us. Uh, review us and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else that you get your quality audio content. If you want to contact any of us on Twitter, you can contact the blog at BavarianFBWorks. You can contact me at Jefferson Fenner. Chuck, where can they find you? You can get me at the Barrel Blog. Alrighty. So thank you very much once again for tuning in. And until next time, we will see you later. Hopefully, Bayern Munich will have a trophy. So, auf Wiedersehen.